is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, Shane Keith, you saw on Twitter. We're going to talk inside the dome in a moment. Playoffs. Yes. Playoffs. We're not going to talk playoffs. We're, gonna, we're, no, gonna we're not going to talk about the playoffs. Although, we're going to talk playoffs. Playoff games. We're, not today, but we will talk playoffs. We will talk basketball. We'll talk ETSU football. We'll talk a lot of things. But uh, not today. Not today. Today was about uh, Friday. We were going to do a pod uh, with Dr. Sander, and then he walked in and said, uh, Guys, we, we need to can we take some questions. You know, I know the fans probably got questions about it. I said I would do this, or we would talk after we got the hire. And, you know, instead of just talking to you guys, let's see what they want to talk about. And uh, that's what uh, you put out there for us, and that's what we're, we're going to do here. Now. Yeah, and uh, he said, let's, let's let it percolate over the weekend and see what comes out. I did like that one. You just like that word, percolate. I do, I do. Makes yeah. me smile every time you say it. Well, like, like Missy Elliott said, let's get it percolating. Let's go inside the dome. The man in charge. Doc, doc, doc. I shouldn't have to remind you, I'm a doctor. Goes in the hot seat. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that I want to answer immediately. I'm your huckleberry. It's inside the dome. Did he just call it a dome? Dome, 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 Well... He asked for it, and we're going to deliver. Yes. Well, Buck Nation has delivered. That's true. We're just going to read the questions that That's they right. asked. We are simply the messenger. So uh, we're going to dive right in here. Doc, Doc we were, uh, actually came to the office, and we're like, hey, we should podcast once we get a coach, just set another. And then Doc Sander looked at us and said, you know what, let's do one of the domey thingies. Actually, he didn't say that, but inside the dome, get some questions, and I'll answer I think you that. called it the domey thing. Yeah, domey thing. Well, I can't remember what you, you know, you did the production on it, you know, I don't you know, pop culture references, that's not really my thing. So, um, Doc, thanks for doing it. Glad to do it. Always yeah. good. You guys you guys keep me laughing, so it's a good thing. Well, and, and, and you know, if you don't like this, it's your idea, so just keep that in mind, too. So that way we're, we're gainfully employed over here in case. All right. Uh, Casey Wilkins, first question. Who were some of the candidates you interviewed for the position, and at what point in the hiring process did you decide to reach out to Coach Sanders? Well, I never reached out to Coach Sanders. Dr. Nolan talked to Randy. He did, I didn't talk to him. And, and I think, uh, you know, when, when Dr. Nolan talked to Randy, I think they talked a little bit about coaching, but I think basically he asked Randy to give him five names. And I saw the five names, and so um, we looked at, at, the five, at those five people. Some of them we had already had on our list and or on my list, so – yeah, moved forward with that, but so I never talked to Coach Sanders. Dr. Nolan did, so he gave me that. We talked to other people. You know, I talked to, um, you know, Mike Smith a fair amount. We, we talked to uh, Coach Chadwell a fair amount. So, you know, we had some people that were pretty much pretty knowledgeable about, you know, college football. And um, so, so yeah, so I never talked to Randy directly. I really – don't feel comfortable talking about the people themselves. I mean, it's kind of an HR issue. I can tell you that we interviewed three people. We actually interviewed three people. Um, one of them had been a long-time uh, assistant coach in the Big Ten. He had been um, an off- 
offensive coordinator in the Big Ten. He's a former student athlete here. He currently is, uh, uh, I think, a receivers coach in the NFL. We talked to him. So I think that was uh, somebody that was really very impressive in the interview. Um, we talked to another gentleman who had been an FCS coach, had been the FCS coach of the year. He went into the FBS, um, was an FBS head coach for three years. Um, that didn't work out so good. Now was an analyst at a Power 5 school. So talked to him. He was terrific. Um, really thought the world of him. And then, you know, we talked to Coach Lamb. But we had vetted probably 25 people, everybody from, uh, I mean, I'll drop this name, Ray Lewis. You know, he's, his agent called and wanted us to interview him. We um, um, looked at people who had strong connections to um, Johnson City. We looked at successful high school coaches. We looked at people who had coached in the NFL. So we looked at a lot of people and really – you know, to be honest, I can't tell you how many hours, you know, I spent looking at those, calling people about these different folks. So we only interviewed three, but we did an incredible amount of vetting on probably 25 other coaches who, for some reason or another, look like they might be, uh, you know, a really good candidate for us. But we actually came down to interviewing those three. And, you know, the plan was if any of those three didn't, work out then we had another list of people that we were going to interview but you know I think um, we were trying to move you know expeditiously but you know with great um, with great focus and care so uh, I feel really good about the result that we got um, we could have continued to um, interview more people but just didn't seem to make any sense to us I think the three that we interviewed were all terrific I think I you know, and me and you talked about this offline, and we talked about, I think we did the basketball search, uh, um, not this past one, the one before that, about the the myth out there that, like, well, who's going to be interested in the job? You know, it's a, huh. it's a dumpster fire. No, nobody wants to come take over that. And, you know, the amazing amount of people that, as I laugh, people that have reached out to me, somebody knew somebody's agent that said, hey, who do you know? Oh, I know the radio guy, and then me give names. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable yeah. the number of people reached out. Like Ray Lewis, I mean, it's just a great example yeah. of, like, people that are reaching out. Right, and, I mean, there were other NFL guys, and, you know, I, I mean, to be honest, it, it was – we just weren't going to hire somebody that hadn't had, you know, a pretty high level of, of coaching experience. And, you know, we really wanted somebody who had had coaching experience. When I talked to Jamie Chadwell, I mean, that was the one thing he really encouraged me to do was to really hire – really, really seriously think about somebody who had been – a head coach, he thought that they brought a lot to the dance and that, you know, ETSU was in a position that we could hire a head coach. I mean, we also looked at some high-level offensive coordinators. Um, and actually, you know, we had looked at some offensive coordinators who had been at a high level and then, you know, power five when the coach has a bad season, he fires the offensive coordinator and then they go be an analyst somewhere to paying them off for a few years. but um, So we looked at a couple of those guys. You know, we had some we had some sitting, you know, Power 5, <coughs> excuse 
excuse me, head coaches, but in a lot of cases, those guys are making a lot of money. They're making probably two or three times more than what we can afford, but there were guys who reached out to us in those positions, and you know, I think we're willing to take a cut and pay to be a head coach at ETSU. ETSU's brand is pretty well thought of nationally. I can tell you that from just the amount of, like you said, like the amount of interest was in this job, and that, you know, people saying to me, well, ETSU's the only, you know, FCS job I'm interested in, you know, so I think from that standpoint. But like I said, we vetted a ton of people, you know, and people whose names would be very well-known here in Johnson City, but when a push came to shove, I felt we needed somebody. And, and sometimes, you know, some people, well, this guy or this guy, and you go, okay, and then you go look at them. Well, you know, they're the offensive coordinator to program it's three and eight. You know what I mean? So it's pretty hard to say, okay, we just fired a guy who was three and eight, and we're going to bring in an offensive coordinator from a program who, from from a program that was three and eight, and he had never been a head coach. So you know, those are some of the things that you know you kind of look at and how how we came to this decision. Uh, but resources obviously a big part of the appeal of the job, and uh, there's been a lot of talk of resources, uh, particularly pertaining to the football program recently. So Rocky Top Bucks uh, wrote in, will there be an increase in the budget for Coach Lamb to bring in a staff that will have ETSU competing at a national level consistently with an FCS? Well, you know, it's pretty interesting. I'm a little confused as to how this uh, got out there that we had cut all this stuff. We, we really didn't cut anything. You know, I, I, on another podcast, I talked about, you know, the scholarship and, you know, the tuition reduction and how that affected, you know, overall budgeting. So I don't want to get into that again. But, you know, re- realistically, when out-of-state out scholarships were reduced by maybe uh, $18,000 a year, yeah, we reduced the scholarship because if we didn't, we would have uh, we would have over-awarded. So we had to. So, yeah, a number went from you know, 1.8 to 1.6 in scholarships, but that, that was just a reduction in tuition, so it was just a savings. Um, from the standpoint of salaries, yeah, we, we have put, a, you know, more money into the salary pool. I could tell you the exact numbers if you wanted to know, but it's a 17% uh, increase. And part of that uh, is uh, in the former um, pool of dollars that was available for assistant coaches, we included the strength and conditioning coach. Well, we've taken that out of those pool of dollars for the for uh, the assistant coaches. So that basically is that much of a savings. Plus, we probably threw another, I don't know what the number is, $45,000, $50,000 into it. So it's a 17%. I just, just did it because I knew this question was coming. I, it's a 17% interest or uh, Increase. <laughs> increase. I, I'll get yeah. these words straight. Uh, increase in uh, in the uh, salary pool. Well, I, I think it's another part of it is there. That when you say resources, that can mean a lot of different things sure. to a lot of different people. What, what do you, as somebody that oversees this program and, and allocates these resources, what do you define as resources for a football program? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, our, I mean, we kind of line item things, and we, we get real specific, but probably about – I think six areas, you know, there's salaries, there's benefits, there's travel, um, there's operations, and um, what we call, you know, summer school. So that's pretty much the five areas that we really deal with in the budget. So, and then, of course, operations can consist of a lot of things, travel. We break travel into uh, game travel and then recruiting. So there's, there's a pool of money there 
the coaches have somewhat, you know, access to that, and they can make some decisions as to how to best manage the resources that are available. Thomas Stokes writes in at Thomas Stokes three. Do you remember a time that the fan base was screaming for a particular coach and the administration of the school was on the same page? That's who they wanted to. Has to be rare that the fans in the school had the same in reality number one choice because a lot of fans were clamoring for Trey Lamb. Yeah, well, you know, that's what, don't we listen to all the people on social media? 100%. You are, you are fan-driven. I you am. Know, Facebook, you know, so and you're what, like, let's do it. Whatever, whatever, you know, whatever I read on X or on uh, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever else, whatever, whatever. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, you don't have to be a, a genius to come up with the reality that, you know, Trey Lamb did a terrific job at Gardner-Webb. And so as you start to look at that, uh, it became pretty apparent, you know, that he was somebody that should be a prime candidate. And particularly when we created the profile, um, initially, you know, he really fit a lot of the profile. We didn't create the profile for him. He just fit into the profile very well. So, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you know, I did. I saw early on Trey Lamb was a favorite in the clubhouse for some people, you know, so it worked out good. I think that's interesting, too, because a lot of times, you know, fans are fans. They shoot for the moon. We're getting Gruden. Right, and, and, and you hear some names. So I was kind of impressed with the fan base went with, you know, a, a mid-major FCS guy that was, you know, it, that could have been in play. Normally you hear, well, why don't we just go get the, the coordinator at, you know, Montana State, or why don't we just yeah. go get, you know, South Dakota State's head coach. Maybe he wants to come down. I mean, you hear some crazy stuff on top of, hey, let's get the D.C. from a Power 5, as you said, that may make a million dollars or, or whatever they make. Yeah, and, you know, I think with Coach Lamb, there are clearly some things that really stood out for us. You know, I think one of the things that was important for me is that you really needed somebody that could navigate the transfer portal. And when you looked at, you know, what he had done at Gardner-Webb, you know, the transfer portal was important to him. He had done a really good job of that. The people that he got out of the transfer portal were important uh, contributors to, you know, his program there. He had that knowledge. He had the network to be able to to really, you know, do a good job with the transfer portal. So, so, so that clearly was important. I think, you know, the other thing, you know, this recruiting base, you know, he clearly knew a lot of our players because he had recruited them, you know, while he was at Gardner-Webb. He was very familiar with a lot of our players. He knew the kind of players that we recruit. He knew what we needed. He was very, very familiar with that. So I just thought, you know, that um, I, I, of course we, we always do this. It's a, you know, it's the long game play. But I think in reality we also wanted to do something that could get us as quick a return to the type of success and competing for championships as possible. And I think, you know, Coach Lamb, because of his familiarity with our program, with the recruits that we were recruiting, with this region, with the transfer portal, he could get us back as quick as possible and also would do it for the long term because I knew that his, you know, his standards, his commitment to hard work and um, focus and discipline would be things that would stand the test of time. Uh, Thomas also writes in, uh, kind of off topic, the men's golf program continues to excel at a top 25 level and is able to compete with Power 5 schools. Do you feel that ETSU is able to invest in staff and facilities at a top 25 level for sustained success? Yeah, we have. 
That's why we're a top 25 program. We've invested a lot of money in, in men's golf, to be perfectly honest, you know. So we, uh, we do a lot of things to um, invest in resources for men's golf. I, I feel like men's golf is also uh, kind of a, a golf in general at ETSU is a success story of community support. When you look at Warren Green, it was built entirely with private dollars. Uh, just the, the ability of donor support to fuel ETSU athletics. Itself. Yeah, and, you know, I think we're going to allocate resources based upon return on those investments, and I think we get a pretty big return on the, the investment that we make in golf, you know. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of mid-major programs that, you know, play tournaments in Hawaii, play tournaments in Puerto Rico, play tournaments in Arizona, travel, you know, the way they travel. So, you know, it's an investment that we've made, you know, and I think uh, we, we see, you know, the results of, of that investment. So, yeah, we have invested and we will continue to invest. So it's not a one-off deal. You know, this program's very solid. You know, he has good, uh, um, you know, good senior players, but he has good young players too. So um, I think this will continue um, because we have invested. We The coach has the dollars to you know, travel to recruit, um, consistently goes to places where the good players are. And I think the word is out there that if you come to ETSU to play golf, you're going to have a great experience. Let's go to Bucky Stutters. Uh, Doc, he wants to know, uh, I think we need some kind of fund set up uh, where regular folks like us can contribute to the NIL fund to attract talent. I can't give 10K, but I could chip in several hundred clams uh, if enough of us do that, it could add up. Wonder if it's doable and legal. And I know we talked about that a little bit. I, um, uh, Bucks for Good is yeah. being set up, and I, we're in the midst of trying to get uh, all that because I know the school can do. We talked to compliance about this. They can yeah. do a release, have a link on a website. We can actually have um, that group on the podcast. Yeah. We can talk about that. So the short answer is yes and yes because they will take all comers and all money to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. It's kind of a, you know, and I was kind of a, a really um, interesting world that we're in right now. So basically the dollars either go to the university or they go to NIL. So, I mean, if you want to contribute, you can surely contribute to, you know, ETSU football, and it'll go in a restricted fund that will help coach that way. Um, there are different ways to help these players um, there is NIL, but there are other ways to do it, too, and I don't want to get into it too much because there are um, some strategies out there that we kind of have to f figure out of how to, to do that. There's Alston Awards or Cost of Attendance or those sort of things that we um, hopefully down the road can, can get involved with, too, to help uh, make ETSU more attractive to the student-athletes and competitive with, with uh, the schools that we want to on a consistent basis. So, yeah, I mean, you can, um, but I'd also encourage everybody that wants ETSU football to really continue to um, be at a level where we are competitive and, you know, can compete for that, that SOCON championship everywhere. If you give um, gift dollars to um, ETSU football, the money the money's all go into football and it will be controlled by Coach Lamb, and I think sometimes, you know, that's the, the differential of being able to do something a little bit special, you know, that really enhances the experience of the student-athlete. So there's different ways to enhance the experience of the student-athlete. One's paying them, one is, you know, providing 
other really nice um, opportunities for them. And I think, you know, we do a pretty good job. I don't think anybody gives us quite enough credit for the kind of gear that we provide for our student athletes, the kind of equipment that we provide, the facilities that we provide in the weight room, locker rooms, you know, stadium where we play. I mean, those, when you talk to Coach Lamb, he was tremendously impressed with the investment that we've made in football. So all the people that say, hey, they're not investing in football, you know, they probably ought to talk to, uh, you know, Coach Lamb a little bit. I think he was very, very impressed with what we've done and those kind of things. All right, next question, uh, Savage ETSU Buckeye, uh, under ETSU underscore Buckeye. There have been a lot of several, or there have been several instances in the past couple of years of ETSU coaches being accused of inappropriate behavior, abuse, etc. The latest appears to be one of your hires. What can be done to ensure that we're properly vetting and uncovering skeletons from these coaches' past? Yeah, well, you talk to people, you know. Um, and, and, and let me just say this, too. Um, social media is a terrific um, platform for people who have, uh, you know, a, 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 what would be the word, that they have a complaint. You know, we have, you know, we have 450 student athletes about that. I don't know the exact number that we have. But you're going to have some kids that are you're not unhappy. We have, you know, we have freshmen who come in here. We had a freshman come in here in two weeks. You know, she's on social media complaining about everything, you know, accusing the coach of having NCAA violations. Of course they weren't, but, you know, when that gets on, you know, social media, people take that for the gospel. So there are some things out there that have been posted on social media which actually have no validity at all. We, we take those very seriously. The ones that just came out, you know, this year, we had, you know, our Title IX investigator go in there and look very, very closely at that. And they said, no, there, there's nothing to these, you know. So, you know, some of that, you know, gets played up the social media. Clearly, you know, a couple of years ago with softball, that, that was a serious concern. And, you know, we, we made the decision to, you know, make a change there because we weren't happy with the way, you know, that those folks were communicating with our student athletes and some of the things that had been communicated. But, but some of the things you've got to understand that you have some – some of these young people come in and they're going to, they have it, they, things don't work out. And 450 people, you're going to find some that, you know, don't, don't like this. I, I mean, I guess sometimes you just go, if you're not happy here, then, you know, don't stay. But, you know, it's, it's like I said, you know, it, that comes out in social media and I, uh, I don't, we're very, very, <laughs> we, do, we do a tremendous amount of work on vetting these people. We, we've talked to probably three or four places these people have worked. Um, so, you know, at least since I've been here, I, I can't speak for, you know, the previous administration. Right, and if, when found something, you've made a change. Right, uh, yeah, exactly, you know. And um, <coughs> the recent change you know, we made in volleyball had nothing to do with that. It had to do with it was just a bad fit, you know. Um, it was a bad fit for good old ETSU. Um, that's what it was. So rather than, you know, just continue with um, a situation that was a bad fit, we just said it's good for everybody to go in a new direction. All right. Uh, one more from Brandon at Slightly Off Keys and Marcus at WXBQ Marcus. Is SOCON expansion something you believe needs to happen? Yeah, we're very uh, committed to, to expansion in the SOCON. I think us, probably Chad Nuger, are very committed to trying to be aggressive and move this conference forward. 
Um, unfortunately, there are some members of this of this conference that really just want to remain status quo, and that kind of is pretty frustrating uh, for us and for you know Chattanooga. Um, we want to try to do things to you know elevate the conference to add membership that will enhance you know our, our regional reputation, our national reputation. So I think uh, we are very much. Um, in favor of expansion, we think with some of the things that have happened recently and some, you know, some conferences around us that there should be, we should have some pretty strong um, conversations with schools that might, when they joined a particular conference, uh, it is considerably different now than it was when they joined it. So, you know, like the Colonial, it's not even the same they don't, even have, they don't even have the same name now. So, um, so plus they don't have the same membership. So we would think that, you know, there should be some people in there, and there's some other um, places out there that we think would be a good fit for um, being members of, of the, uh, you know, of, of our conference. We don't want to add people just to be adding them, but I think there are some schools out there that bring value. Yeah, I think that's, you know, at least the last six, seven years, I've been pounding the, the table. And since Keith's come back, he's pounded the table as far as trying, f for a lot of reasons, I think short-sightedness, the football side of the SOCON, there are people that are like, we like the nine teams, the eight-game symmetrical, all this other. My thing is, A, if you're going to get more teams in the playoffs, more teams will help you get more teams in the playoffs there. The second side of that, you could help elevate basketball. The third part of that is the women's sports in Title right. Nine. There are so many uh, uh, teams that don't sponsor all the sports that it's hard for the women's teams to or get a competitive. Baseball. baseball only has eight now. That it just makes it, it makes it so tough for all those teams to get the number of games to have really good, balanced conference versus non-conference schedules. You look at women's basketball, there's eight teams, and it's the smallest women's basketball championship in Division One. There's a lot of reasons to expand. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things, I mean, I, that's one of the things, you know, I think every conference probably has their, their challenges, you know. Um, but for us, you know, I think we want to try to be able to make decisions based upon what's good for us. And so it's just, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but it's kind of like cost of attendance, you know. And the SOCON is the only conference in the country that limits cost of attendance. And so we can only... Um, provide 28 student athletes cost of attendance as regulated by the, you know, the SOCON. Uh, we can we're limited as to what is the cap that we can provide, you know, our student athletes, and that's $2,000. Well, our cost of attendance at ETSU is $6,900. So, but you know, so if we said, you know, we want to give this student athlete $6,900, we can't do it because the um, SOCON has uh, put a cap on cost of attendance. So we, Chattanooga, you know, a couple of the other places, but, you know, the, I mean, I'll be honest, the private schools don't want to change that. They think it's a competitive advantage for us because our cost of attendance is high compared to theirs. Of course, their tuition is real high compared to our tuition. So, you know, they said think that's an advantage for us. But when we're recruiting against a pick somebody, you know, in basketball, if we're recruiting against a Western Kentucky or College a of Charleston. College of Charleston, they're giving them total cost of attendance. So we think that, you know, in, in that kind of situation, they are uh, creating a 
you know, a real uh, difficult situation for us. So those are the kind of conversations that are going on in, in, in the uh, SOCOM. Well, the new commissioner says he wants to move forward. That, that Michael Cross has sort of reinvigorated some of those conversations as he's taken over the conference, that change in leadership has, has sparked some people to take some fresh looks at this. Yeah, I mean, he clearly is somebody who wants to um, look at every situation and not just accept status quo. This is the way we all we've always done it. I think the two previous, you know, commissioners that I've been, I mean, they kind of were okay with that. Let's just kind of maintain what we have. It's a good conference, and it is a good conference. But can we make it better? Can we move it down the road? Because I'm going to tell you, the SoCon. In 2015 or 16, whenever we came in, the landscape in college athletics is so considerably different. I think that in the very few, very near future, you're going to see um, a major, uh, a major uh, white paper shared by Charlie Baker with what his vision is for the NCAA in the future. I think that'll come out relatively soon with some time for discussion between now and the NCAA convention in January. So I think you'll see some things out there that are people go, woo, you know, this is going to be, we got to figure out where we are in this whole thing. I guess the, and this is a, a question you probably can't answer, but the obvious question from me and Keith is if, if you just say stagnant and teams were to leave, the, the, the other schools understand they would be out or who, would be out, who somebody would be out. Like I, I kind of feel like that, that that Southern Conference has always been retroactive in right. some of these things and protecting yeah. and, and instead of proactive right. for those things. That's what we're trying to, to really push that. Let's be proactive. Let's go out and not try to, okay, something happened, we react. Good, good word there, Keith. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that is kind of a different mindset. So it's Commissioner Cross in, I think he is much more willing to, you know, bring up those issues, look at different ways to do things, try to, you know, push, you know, push the envelope a little bit. So uh, from that standpoint, I think, uh, you know, we are making some progress anyway. At least it's not just shut down, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. All right, so that's all the questions we have for Inside the Dome. Anything you need to get off uh, your chest or want to cover? No, you know, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the fan base for, I know they're very interested in things. And, you know, it's always a tough decision when, you you know, you have to, you know, go a different direction with a head coach. And, you know, Coach Coral's a terrific guy, you know. I, I wished, you know, things would have gone better for him. Um, but it, it, we just got down to the point, Jay, where, you know, we had, when you look at it, you know, we had a, a team that made it to the, what, the quarterfinals of the playoffs, you know, three years ago and, you know, were ranked, you know, I guess, preseason, you know, number five in the country and the program just kind of, and who knows, you know, there's a lot of reasons why things went, we went three and eight and three and eight, but that's coming after a team that was 11 and two and, you know, uh, had a fair amount of people coming back. So, you know, it's a hard decision because you, you realize you are impacting lives, not only Coach Quarles, but all those assistant coaches, you know, that, that's really tough. I hate it all of them but 
you know, I think um, you kind of got to look at it as, you know, my job is to do what I can do for, for you know, the good of the program, the good of the university, the good of the community. And, and uh, it would have been easy just to say, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, keep this thing going. And there's been, you know, injuries. But, you know, in my mind, I didn't see a clear path to, to the where we needed to go, where we wanted to go. So, yeah, that. And then, you know, I'm sure the other thing, you know, that's out there with, you know, the coaching hire is, you know, there were other people. Yeah, there's a lot of our fan base who felt, you know, people on current staff should have been hired. But, you know, I think the reality of that is it's hard to hire somebody from, you know, a team that's gone 3-8 and and 3-8, and you know. So they were part of that. So this is why, you know, we – I felt, you know, we needed to go in, in, in the direction that we went. Um, I think, uh, you know, Coach Lamb is, you know, brings a tremendous, uh, a tremendous uh, resume, a, a, a great energy level, um, and, and a real strategy and a work ethic that everybody's going to, you know, be very, very impressed with. We're going to try to do things. We hope that people, every time you get a chance, you know, we want you to reach out. We want you to be part of this and talk to, you know, Coach Lamb. And one of the things that, you know, during the press conference, we reviewed the press conference very carefully. And one of the things that he said in the press conference, which is going to be our mantra for football, is together we win. And I think that speaks volumes about where he is, and I think it's where we need to be. Together we win. Together meaning, you know, the players, the coaches, the faculty, the staff at ETSU, the administration, the alumni, you know, the people in northeast Tennessee. Together, if we're together, we win. We win on the field. We win everywhere. So I'm sure you'll hear that a lot down the road um, because I think it's a tremendous statement and i think that's where we're focused all right doc we appreciate the time a great inside the dome and uh, i'm sure in a few more months we'll talk to you again thanks jay thanks keith appreciate the job you guys do thanks doc all right another edition inside the dome uh, i said it was missy Elliott. it was mary j blige that got it percolate i'm smiling again yeah i know you are you went percolate I know you are. by the way it occurred to me as we were talking to doc that when he said 28 is the cap for cost of attendance that there are 13 men's basketball scholarships in Division One and 15 women's basketball scholarships in Division One. 13 to 15 is 28. So it's literally just about basketball. Which is interesting because a majority of the league doesn't want to expand because of football. But they do give cost of attendance for basketball. It's like a, it's like a caveat. Like, okay, we are football-related. We want nine teams, eight symmetrical. There's no way we cannot crown a champion. And we have to play four home and four away, but you still could play eight games if you had 12 teams and figure it out. I just, I just want to see a commitment to football. I think back to what Michael Cross said at the media day luncheon in Greenville, the best chance for a Southern Conference school to win a national championship is in FCS football. So why are we not making that a priority and doing more things to try to get the, the football programs of everybody in this conference to move forward. Because when it comes down to it, you look at the Missouri Valley, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? North Dakota State uh, galvanized a conference that had been pretty good, pretty successful. You know, Northern Iowa is kind of the top dog for a while, but NDSU took it to a whole other level. CAA, I mean, 
there are a lot of programs in the CAA that owe their success to JMU and Delaware, and to a lesser extent, Richmond, because those are the teams that won the national championships. So, I mean, when you have teams that rise, and those teams are given the freedom to rise, and the resources to rise, and the structural support to rise, then everybody rises with them. Because now you look, the Valley gets six teams in the playoffs. The CAA got six teams a couple times. The Big Sky, I think, got four this year and, pro- and probably deserved five. Um, there's going to be so many benefits in terms of the championship picture and your conference's role in it if you expand and then you give those teams the opportunity to grow at their speed. I think it's... It's a it's a must. I mean, I think you can do a couple of things. One, it's not like trying to win at football doesn't mean that a conference by adding right takes away from that. It could help with resources. Number one, with multi teams in and take back over. Two, you can still win at basketball. <laughs> I mean, yeah. those, yeah. those no, things are not. Take anything away like, from basketball. I, I, I feel like the Southern Conference has always had a sticking point that we are one uh, or the other and I think that you you can do both. I mean, again, I think football was a huge priority. You're talking about mid-80s, the championship by Furman. Then, you know, in the 90s or 2005-ish, 6 is whatever it was, you're talking about multi-championships for Marshall, Southern, Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, and then all those, you know, other than Furman, they've all elevated up and moved on. And there just wasn't what was put back into it. And so I think you could still do that. You could still win in football. And you could still add teams, quality teams, that play football and basketball and help your case for what would be another good moneymaker for for the Southern Conference, which is multi-teams in a tournament. Yes. But to win a championship, it would have to come, I believe, in FCS football. I 100% agree. Uh, I mean, there might be an outside shot at men's golf. And you get lightning in the bottle, but I think you have a much better chance at FCS football. And it almost feels – I talked to a lot of app people shortly after the move into the Sun Belt, uh, like alums and people who are plugged into the program and talked a lot about it, were passionate about it. They said that the way football was discussed behind closed doors made it seem like football was an afterthought up to an inconvenience. And it doesn't seem like – that has changed in the recent past, but I think with a new commissioner and a fresh perspective, and clearly there is an appetite for football growth somewhere in this conference, and there's certainly an opportunity for football growth within this conference, uh, I think that may be about to change. I am hopeful against hope because we all know what hope is. I mean, you, your cold, black, cynical heart will tell me that I'm a fool for believing in, in the idea that, that this could change, but... Uh, I am hopeful that the conference is going to take a big step forward on the gridiron, just from an institutional philosophical standpoint. Yeah, uh, again, uh, I, I want to see more teams. Uh, and I, yes. just, I, I keep beating the drum. I think it would be great for basketball. It would be great for football. It would be great for women's sports. I, I, don't know what, what, I don't know what it's bad for because you have to travel to a couple more conference games. you got to travel to non-conference games. Yeah. I don't understand the problem. Yeah, and, and you have guaranteed home games against better opponents than you could probably get on short notice when somebody pulls the plug on you. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But uh, this is 
yeah, this is a no-brainer for me. His expansion is a no-brainer. I'm, I was glad to hear Doc uh, voice strong and unwavering support for his All right, this is Inside the Dome special. We are going to talk uh, basketball hopefully tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. On Jan Keith. Maybe tomorrow. On the Buccaneer Sports Network. Please expand. Oh, you got to be kidding me.